As we heard this morning, um, the responsibility laid upon fathers. You are our Father in heaven. You are the one that cares for us. You are the one that protects us. You are the one that is very jealous over your people. And we thank thee for your great love and mercy that you have bestowed upon us. We especially thank thee for the <clears throat> wonderful news of our dear friend Mary Poon in being pronounced or announced ready for baptism together with Joshua now, Joshua Flores. And we pray that you would keep them both in your care until that day that we will rejoice together to baptize them into the death of Jesus Christ. Bless now the word as you have blessed it this morning to us. Bless now the word upon our hearts. Open our hearts to be willing recipients. And not only recipients but doers of your word. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a chapter came up to my mind this, this past week and thinking of the love of a father and in reading it you would think what kind of love is this? We, we have a song that we sing what kind of love is this of my soul? But when I think of Abraham what he had to go through with his son, um, you would wonder, how does God love? So I'd like to turn to chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 22 of the book of Genesis and read through that. This is the offering of Isaac by Abraham upon the request of God. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains which I will tell, of thee, tell thee of. And Abraham rose up <clears throat> early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Thus on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto, the, unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, <coughs> thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it said, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. And it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she has also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, Huz for his firstborn, Boaz for his brother, and Kemuel the father of Aram, and Kesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begat Rebekah. These eight Milcah did bear to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And his concubine, whose name was Reuma, she bare also Teba, and Gaham, and Thahash, and Maka. I've read the, to the end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is a, a chapter that many scratch their heads on as to this great request, what may seem a horrific request that God had to Abraham. It looked like a pagan ritual where someone would have to offer their son to appease the God of Moloch, 
where they would pass their children through the fire, that is, to sacrifice them. That's the common understanding of what that meant. As a matter of fact, in the book of, uh, I forget, was it Exodus? or He specifically talks about offering the children that these pagan nations did. And yet here we find God asking Abraham to do this what seemed a horrific to us even today deed and that is to offer his only son he is as if he was rubbing it in your only son Isaac it's very interesting the way the scriptures use this and if you go to the commentary in the book of Hebrews it says that God asked Abraham to offer up his only begotten son and we know it wasn't his only begotten son he had eight sons but the way that language is used especially in the New Testament of Jesus Christ is like this unique one and only son, in the sense, one of a kind. This precious, dear one that you love, Abraham, offer him up for me. If you claim to love me, then you will do what I ask you to do. It says in the very first verse, and it came to pass after these things that occurred in the previous chapter, that God did tempt Abraham. Now that word, we know, in the Bible does not mean to entice or to lure or to somehow seduce. But as James says, that God tempts no man, neither can he be tempted by any man. But the word tempt here means test. God tested Abraham now was it for God's sake God knows everything from the beginning to the end and from the end to the beginning I believe Isaiah says perhaps I believe it was for Abraham's sake God knew what the result would be but he took and he tested Abraham and said unto Abraham and Notice three times in this chapter, Abraham says, Behold, here I am. I'm ready. I'm at your service, Lord. By this time, Abraham had already experienced God from at least chapter 12 when God gave him the first promise that of him that was named Abram, of him shall become many nations. He would be the father of many nations. And in chapter 15 of, of Genesis, he ratified this covenant by telling Abraham to, to line up all those beasts, those animals that were cut up, to divide them in two and let the blood pour out. And God, through the horror of darkness, would walk in between these pieces and, if you will, unilaterally 
ratify this covenant that he made with Abraham. He never asked Abraham to walk through the blood. There are so many parallels, as we know, that this picture has with Christ himself coming as that sacrificial son. Some 2,000 years later. So we see that Abraham had already experienced God. He had experienced God when God came and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He had experienced God when, when God had promised him, when the three men came to visit him in his tent and tell him that he, of, at a hundred years old, would receive a child. When Abraham was complaining, you know, who shall all this be? He was a wealthy man. He had so much, so many possessions. And whose will all this be, since I only have my servant, Eleazar, who would inherit everything that he has. That's when God promised him, you will get someone out of your own loins, even though in his impatience with Sarah, they had a child through the concubine, Hagar, Ishmael. Yet God said, through your own loins, you will have this son, and you will become the father of many nations through them. So he had a first-hand experience. His very first, uh, first experience was when God asked him to leave the land of Ur the Chaldees. And he moved up and, and they stayed in Padanaram for a while. And then they came down after God told him to leave again. And he went into Canaan with his, with his altar and his tent. He had already experienced God there. And the Bible says, this is very very. Um, a very uh, important point to grasp when the Bible says that because Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness Abraham was declared a righteous man by God because of his faith it was not to do with his sacrifice we would say it was something far easier that he would believe God and go where he wanted him to go. And we know how he went up the, Mesopotamia, uh, the rivers, the, 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 between the two rivers, the Mesopotamia, that's what it means, between the two rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris. And then when God told him to leave, he left and he came into, into Canaan and then he went into Egypt and he basically lied to Pharaoh about his wife because he was fearing that he would kill him for the sake of his beautiful wife. And then Pharaoh, the pagan king of Egypt, had to actually reprimand Abraham. Look what you could have, look what you, you could have done. You could have got, caused me to be destroyed by God because of what you lied to me about. And so he's already had this intimate relationship with God and he had already God had already declared him if you will just because of his faith in leaving everything behind in surrendering everything to show that he in fact was committed and loyal 
entrusted the living God in all of his promises to him. And then he said, here I am. And then God says, okay, now I want you to take your son. I want you to take your son, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah. Not the Mount of Moriah, there was a mount there, but into the land of Moriah, and offer there him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I'll show you which one it is. Probably when you get there, you'll know which one it is. You know, when, when I look upon now today, yesterday, when I looked upon my grandchildren, their innocence and their, their beauty, and I see, could I ever offer this beautiful girl or this beautiful boy and give him to God, sacrifice him? You know, when they're that cute and then they, they're that small, then they're so helpless and innocent, it's perhaps, perhaps even a greater task. This story looks like, or this account, should I say, I was once, uh, Brother Steve Sakach once uh, um, reminded me when I said this story, I, was, I think I was doing a Bible study in Pine Valley or something like that, and he says, Brother Doug, this is not a story. This is an account. I thought, that's a good way of looking about it. Because stories can be fables. But this is, an, this is a historical account. That he would take him. This account that he would take his son. And offer him as a burnt offering to God. You think that there's no emotion in this. Like, it, from one verse, you're, you're, you're in Beersheba. The next verse, you're in Moriah. Like, there's no detail given here. There are no details here given. But, and you think it's so passe, so simple, emotionless. But if we were to envision his journey of three days... For the three days that he was traveling to Moriah. What was going on through his mind? What was going on? Have you ever gone through um, a crisis in your life? With, where something was so, so difficult. You don't know how you're going to get through this. I've gone through a couple, and the, the, the anxiety that goes through your body, nowhere near what Abraham went through. Nowhere near what Abraham went through. You, you can ask my wife, I'm not going to tell you what the incidences were, but when I get anxiety because there's something that seems so insurmountable, so painful, and my hands are burning. They're burning because 
I don't know how to deal with this. What do I do? If I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. What do I do? People get anxiety when they feel that there is no way out. There's nothing that they know they can do. What was Abraham thinking of? It says, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Couldn't sleep anymore. He couldn't sleep anymore knowing what's going on in his mind. I get up at 4 o'clock sometimes. I got up at 3 o'clock this morning. I forget what time it was. Then 4 o'clock. When I can't sleep, I can't sleep. I get up and I read. Or I do something. Abraham gets up early in the morning. Saddled his ass. Took two of the young men with him. And Isaac, his son... And clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. He, got to, he started doing something. Because he, he, he could have told his servants, saddle my ass, do all this, get everything's ready. But in, in the process of working things out in his mind, he was doing this himself. People do that. I know I do that. I need to do things in order to get my mind off it. I go through the mechanical motion of doing things to, so I know I have to do it. But inside, this anxiety. It wasn't a simple task for Abraham just to get up and go. And he rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, I think this is not here by accident, by coincidence. It says, And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. I believe in some way, Abraham was dead inside, unresponsive. He didn't know what to do anymore, how to respond. He went through the motion of trudging all the way to Moriah, of thinking, this is it. I have to do this to my own son. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here, stay here. Stay here with the ass. And I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. We're going to go up. That's, that's what worship was in those days. That's why Abraham had a tent and an altar. Everywhere he stopped, he raised an altar. And there he sacrificed to God. He worshipped God through sacrifice. And he said, just stay here. We'll, we're going to come back. He didn't say, I'm coming back. He said, we're coming back. Did Abraham firmly believe that Isaac's coming back with him? 
Or was he just trying to not reveal what's going to happen to his young men? That's a question which may be answered in the word of God. And Abraham took the wood of a burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. Not only was he going to do this, but he took Isaac to carry the wood. To carry the wood that would be his weapon of execution, if you will. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That Jesus had to carry his own cross as he went to Calvary, as he was doing the Father's bidding, and he took the fire in his hand. And went forth, both of them together. And Isaac, in his innocence, in his unassuming demeanor and disposition, did not think it would be the farthest thing from his mind what his father was going to do next. And he said unto Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Here am I. This is the second time he said it. And he said, behold the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I don't see it. Where is it? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. That must have been the longest few hundred yards or hundred yards or whatever it was that they had ever walked. What was going through Abraham's mind? And they came to a place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. And then he bound Isaac. Isaac was probably a young man by now, if not 20-something years old, 25, when this was happening. He could have fended off his dad and say, Dad, what are you doing? Are you, are you feeling okay? What, what, what are you, what's going on? And he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood. What was going through Isaac's mind? Did Abraham tell Isaac everything that God had told him? Did did Isaac somehow know something? Did the Spirit of God come upon him in the sense that he didn't wrestle or 
struggle or even question, Abraham, what's going on? This boggles my mind. But it, we can see that it completely aligns with the scripture in Isaiah and in, in the New Testament that says that as a lamb brought before his shearers was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Dear ones, this is not a coincidental event or the events of this account are not coincidental. This was the gospel being preached and foreshadowed as the writer of Hebrews says in the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Hebrews now. The book of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 8. We talked about Abraham going to a place where he should receive an inheritance, obeyed and went there not knowing where he went. Then by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as we said. He looked for a city whose, which foundations, whose had a builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. This is so important. She judged him faithful. Did Abraham judge God faithful? When God had asked him to do these impossible tasks to humans? These all died in faith and so forth. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, that he that received the promises offered him up his only begotten son. The same term used for Jesus Christ. His one and only unique son. We all become the sons of God, but there's only one son who was the first begotten from the dead, that he would be the first born among many brethren, Hebrews tells us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham, in his heart, the one reason he continued on with obeying the word of God was because he said, I don't get it. He promised through my loins, and Isaac is that seed, through my loins that would come many nations. And now you want me to sacrifice him. Perhaps the only way that that's going to happen now is if I sacrifice my only son that I love, this one and only unique son. You must, you must be thinking, you're going to raise him from the dead. 
Now that sort of makes more sense in some way, but it still doesn't make sense that you'd have to kill him. But at least if you raise him from the dead, I'll get him back. Maybe that's why Abraham said to the young men, two young men, we're going to go and worship and we're going to come back. So let's continue in 22 Genesis for a little while. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. All of a sudden it dawned to him, God is going to do something here. What is it? He said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and beheld a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Remember, it was three days. Three days from now, he would have to crucify, or crucify. He'd have to execute his son. But what happened after three days with Jesus? After three, three days with Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was resurrected from the dead. Let's go back to Hebrews 11. Verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Figuratively, it was as if Isaac was raised from the dead because God gave him a stay of execution. Abraham had already considered him dead in his own mind and then at the very last second God says, Stop! Now I know you fear me. And it's as if Isaac was raised from the dead in the eyes of Abraham. Now God knew all along, God knew all along what he was going to do. There's no if, buts or maybes that God knew. God is omniscient, he has foreknowledge, but he tested Abraham. He also knew that Abraham loved him, and I believe that he did this for Abraham's sake. So that Abraham could see that, yes, he did love God. And God doesn't break his promises 
These are, this was another one of these events in Abraham's life that was a faith builder. And it's a lesson to us, beloved, that if our faith is not tested, we could never know how strong we are. We could think we are strong. We could be like Peter. No, I'll go to the death with you, Jesus, until he was tested. And he denied him. But that, someone once said, a failure is only a failure if you don't learn from it. But if you fail and learn from it and you become stronger because of it, then God has achieved his purpose in your life, in my life. So Abraham received Isaac back from the dead figuratively in a figure. I want to conclude by going to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Now, some people may think that it's easy for God to sit on his throne and make all the commands and test us and see how faithful we are. But God is intimately involved in our lives. So much so, when we fail, when we do things that disobey his will and command, we grieve him. His Holy Spirit is grieved. He's not an impersonal God. He's intimately involved in humanity and he's intimately involved with his people, with his children. And he was intimately involved with his son, on that scene on Calvary. It says 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 18. And all things are of God. Who hath reconciled us to himself. By Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. As he has forgiven us for our sins. He's given us a ministry. So that we can go and tell others about the, the cross of Christ about repentance and forgiveness. This is the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, to know this, that God, where was he? When, when Christ was on the cross and hanging, where was he? Somewhere in a faraway heaven? Indifferent to what was going on, he turned his face, I don't want to be... He says God was in Christ. In Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. God forbid that it will ever happen to us that we would witness one of our children being killed somehow. And you have to look at this. And what goes through you as if you died. As if you felt the pain. 
No. God wasn't somewhere on a distant hill turning his back, so to speak. The, the clouds covered the, the sky. It was dark at midday. And God, Christ said, God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But God was there. In Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. When you see the whole coherence of Scripture, the store, the accounts, forgive me, the accounts have been intimately meshed and joined together to bring this coherence history which God has penned through his prophets. This is something undeniable to this world. They can deny it, but they can't say over 6,000 years of God's creation and events and prophecies and, and uh, cataclysms that have occurred that have come to pass as prophesied by God. The destructions of, of Jerusalem and the taking away of, of the into captivity of the, of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. All of this, the Psalms, the prophetic Psalms, everything tied together, it all came down and it was perfectly airtight. This was God working in his people and sometimes he chooses individuals that bear the brunt of much of the suffering much of the pain and no much more than Christ did himself our father does love us but he his love is very difficult to understand sometimes but what happens in the end, when everything is reconciled, if you will, everything is, has its place, everything has its meaning, then it makes sense. And I pray that the ones that are still trying to pick holes and loopholes in the story of Christ, in the, in the New and Old Testament, in saying that God is this this tormentor, this um, murderer of races, of nations, of people. Think again. Think what is God is trying to weave through history and what he has done through history. Without a shadow of doubt, it all came back to the cross. May the Lord bless the word and add what was lacking. To him be the glory. Amen. A thought just went through my mind that before Jesus went to the cross in the room with his disciples, Matthew 26, I think it was, he had the, the Last Supper and he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And then he went to the garden 
And he was praying with such anguish that it says that his sweat poured out as if it were great drops of blood. Medical science tells us that is the condition of hematidosis, where capillaries burst in the brain because of, or in the, in the head, because of the extreme dire stress that one is going through. Jesus knows and he knew what it was like to be faced with the decision that if it could be possible to let it bypass him. But he knew he had to go through with it. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I think when we go through the account of the cross, it behooves us when we tell others of the cross of Christ that it's not just accept Jesus and you'll have a better life. But look what Jesus Christ did for our sins. Look what he went through for our sins, the anguish, the punishment, the, 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 the abuse, the pain, the humiliation that was going through him and God was in him. And there was a purpose for the shed blood. It was for our horrible sins that we had committed that he shed it for. And the way to be reconciled to God is not just accept him as saviour, but repent of our sins. Accept his cross, accept the blood that he spilled for our sins. That he took away the the, the guilt, the, pa the power of sin. And he gave us, in return, eternal life in him. We won't know how a wonderful saviour he really is unless we recognise the heinousness of our sins. May the Lord bless his word and to him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.